the TED Radio Hour from NPR. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on Radio Catskill. Support for Radio Catskill comes from the Women's Health Center in Honesdale, Hamlin, Waymart, Carbondale, and Lords Valley in Pennsylvania. Physicians and certified midwives who deliver. The Women's Health Center is a Wayne Memorial Community Health Center. WMH.org. From Rourke Law, Liberty, New York, a general law practice serving the Catskills and Delaware River Valley, with an emphasis on estate planning, estate administration, elder law, and real property matters. RourkeLaw.com.
This is Callison Stratton, host of Liberation Station, a new show that highlights female and femme-presenting musicians with a little sprinkling of history and goings-on in our community. Our debut show airs this Saturday, March 4th at 7 p.m., featuring duets and supergroups to kick off Women's History Month. It's the debut of Liberation Station, Saturday evening at 7, only on Radio Catskill. Listen local. Welcome to the local edition news and information keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. Coming up, we'll be checking in with the new uh, DA of Sullivan County, the acting district attorney. want to let you know a couple other things first. Some local news. Route 97 tomorrow will be closed to through, track, through traffic along an 11-mile stretch between Route 55 in Berryville and Holmeyer Road in, uh, in, in the town of Lumberland there, just 11 miles uh, down 97. Uh, and it'll be closed from about 9 a.m. till about 1 p.m. tomorrow. That's Wednesday, March 1st. This closure's for tree removal. It's weather pending. It looks like uh, it is on for tomorrow. Signs there will direct through traffic to detours involving State Route 55, County Road 31 and 32. New York State Department of Transportation is advising folks to expect delays and build extra time into their travel schedule. So, that's going on tomorrow. Now, uh, uh, looking ahead to Saturday, if you are in Waymart and looking to, uh, you know, do the monthly getting rid of the recycling at the Waymart Center, that's not happening uh, this Saturday. The Wayne Wayne County says that the recycling drop-off program in Waymart has been canceled for this Saturday, March fourth. Waymart residents can use the drop-off sites in Oregon, Lake, Pawpack, or Preston Townships that day, as well as a centrally located Wayne County Recycling Center Monday through Saturday. And the Waymart drop-off program will resume uh, the following month for April, the first Saturday of April. That's April 1st, so uh, you can take your recycling to the Waymart Center on April 1st. No fooling. Okay, up now here on the local edition, uh, we are going to be introducing Brian Connedy, the acting district attorney for Sullivan County. Following Megan Galligan's election to the Sullivan County Supreme Court, Brian assumed the role and he is currently running for the elected district, elected district attorney position. He's running, he's acting now. He wants to be elected fully this November. Recently, our own Patricio Rabio had the opportunity to interview Brian right here in our Liberty Studios. During the interview, he shared his experience leading the DA's office so far, discussed the challenges he's currently addressing, and talked about his upcoming election campaign. I'm from Sullivan County. I uh, went to the public schools of Monticello until eighth grade, and then I transferred to Burke Catholic High School. And where did you go to college? I went to West Virginia University, where I earned my undergraduate degree in sports management. Then I went to Toro Law Center on Long Island, where I earned my law degree. Wow. So you went from sports management and you made that transition to law. What made you want to transition from sports to law? 
Well, I, I've always wanted to be a prosecutor, and that's because my father was a prosecutor. He always spoke highly of it, and he said that being a prosecutor was the best job in the legal profession. So the transfer over really was uh, my mother was a uh, – she has her doctorate in sports management. She's been – we came from a ba- very big sports family. So my initial interest was sports, and that's why I got my undergraduate degree in sports management. But then I decided I wanted to be a prosecutor after that, so I went to law school. And what sports do you like? Football. Football? Football. Right. Basketball. Uh, Brian, you're a couple of months into this new job, this new role for the district attorney's office. You're the acting district attorney. What are some of the most pressing issues you're facing right now in your office, and how do you plan to address them? The issues that we're facing right now are the new discovery reforms, the new bail reforms, influx of fentanyl into our community, as well as uh, being in the wake of the COVID pandemic. In order to uh, address these issues, I've had to revitalize the office and restructure it. Previously, we were under a uh, horizontal form of prosecution. That meant we had certain attorneys that only handled misdemeanor cases, and we'd have certain attorneys that only handled felony cases. I've changed that so now that each attorney has their own jurisdiction in the county, and they handle all of the crimes in their particular jurisdiction from the violations to the misdemeanors as well as the felonies. It is a hybrid system, so that way um, I retain control over the most serious cases in the county, so anything involving a homicide, anything involving a fatality or domestic violence cases, sex abuse cases, things of that nature. So I retain control over them, but my attorneys now have uh, really control over their entire jurisdiction and how the cases are handled with my guidance and oversight. Seems like a very daunting task. I remember early on in the pandemic, the courts were shutting down. I remember uh, Megan Gallagher, when she was DA, announced that she was doing a lot of the the normal court things that she would do in court over Zoom. And uh, I remember you couldn't have a grand jury for a while. And that also created a backlog of cases. And I remember reading a lot of articles. This was a problem across our nation that there was a back legal backlog because of the coronavirus, how have you been able to sort of tackle that? And and I'm assuming you're still dealing with that backlog. Yeah, that's been challenging. So the COVID-19 pandemic effectively shut the entire court system down for really a two-year period. And crime did not stop in those two years. And we still had cases we were managing and had to prosecute prior to the, the pandemic. So that really has created a backlog of cases that needs to be addressed And the change from the horizontal to the vertical structure hopefully will uh, meet that challenge. Because previously, under the horizontal structure, you'd have two attorneys really to a jurisdiction. You'd have the misdemeanor attorney and you'd have the felony attorney. That made it harder to negotiate cases for a defense attorney. There'd be too many cooks in the kitchen, really, is how it said. With the new vertical structure, each attorney can look at the cases that are currently pending in their jurisdiction and handle all of them effectively in, in one manner. You mentioned bail reform previously and and how that also sort of created more work for your office. The governor in her state of the state recently talked about bail reform and how there was a need for it to change. There are advocates on both sides of the aisle talking about the need for change and some want to do away with it. Some want to sort of change it and reframe the policy. I just want to know what are your thoughts on bail reform? Well, the goals of the new Bail Elimination Act are laudable, and uh, the this act was passed really to address uh, issues that weren't here in Sullivan County. 
the act is uh, important, I believe, in its uh, its goals. I, I also believe that uh, we shouldn't be incarcerating individuals pre-conviction when we're not even seeking conviction or not even seeking incarceration post-conviction. So I think it's good. However, essentially... All misdemeanor offenses are now not qualifying for monetary bail. And some of the most serious cases are also not qualifying for monetary bail. That goes from uh, drug dealers to drug users to certain burglaries and certain robberies and cases that we really care about. And the discretion that used to be afforded to judges is no longer. So I think the new bail reform should be amended to afford judges more discretion in determining when they can and cannot set monetary bail in the cases that matter most to us. Because you agree the reason why bail reform was enacted in the first place, which was to reduce the risk of someone being jailed because they could not afford bail and reduce unnecessary use of uh, of incarceration. You agree with that, but you think the judges should have more discretion on some cases. Correct. They, they should be able to consider uh, a principal or a defendant's dangerousness to the community or their likelihood to reoffend while they're out, while the case pending. With the recent Black Lives Movement and the recent past recent years, there have been a real distrust with law enforcement. I've seen it firsthand with the Black Lives Matter rallies that happened here in Sullivan County. Folks were able to voice what they were going through and what they have experienced. And there was a large distrust of law enforcement. And also the recent shootings that have happened across the country that involve law enforcement. How you plan to work with the community to build trust and foster a positive relationship between residents and law enforcement? Well, I plan to work with the community. I'm currently working with not-for-profits such as Hope Not Handcuffs, which is an excellent initiative that is going to allow people inflicted with the disease of addiction really seek the treatment and the help and long-term treatment that they need. Uh, I want to use this to uh, show the community that I'm looking for just solutions. I'm not a hang them high prosecutor, but I'm trying to do what's just and work with the community. There are pockets in Sullivan County where the crime is, is high. And you mentioned fentanyl and you mentioned how that is also bringing the crime here in Sullivan County. We have the highest overdose rates in the state outside of New York City. So this is a, a opioid crisis that we're having here in, in, our, in our county. What can your office do to sort of reduce crime in the community and, and how you can plant or how do you plan to do that? Yeah. So the opioid ed- epidemic is huge and it's going to be a staple in my administration, the way we combat it. A lot of the crime that we're seeing uh, is because of recidivism. People that have charges pending and then go out and continue to commit crimes. A lot of these crimes are fueled by their addiction to these narcotics. So in order to combat this, I'm going to use the Hope Not Handcuffs program as well as the diversionary course that we have in this county, such as the drug court and the DWI treatment court for these uh, people that are inflicted with uh, the disease of addiction, get the treatment they need so that way they cannot or will not go back out and continue to commit crimes in the community. While at the same time, I'm going to vigorously prosecute the people that are selling this poison to our community and look for high sentences for those individuals. I always hear the words that Fentanyl, opioids are flooding into our community while giving away, you know, pertinent information. How are these drugs coming into our community? How are they actually coming into our community? Do they come through the mail? Are they coming to people are delivering it to us? What, what, is, what is the process? Fentanyl and heroin is being trafficked in our county from obviously outside the county um, with State Route 17 being a huge corridor from the southern part of the state to the northern part of the state, 
Uh, we see a lot of narcotics trafficking through here. So that's how it's coming wow. in. It's not being generated from here for the most part, but it's coming in. You mentioned hope, not handcuffs. Hope that handcuffs is helps a person struggling with substance use disorder come to any police agency or community partner and ask for help and they will get them help. You are now working with this organization as part as your role as the district attorney. How has been the experience so far? It's been a great experience um, working with our partners uh, with Hope Not Handcuffs. We actually just secured $1.3 million to fund the initiative, which should be uh, set to go next week. So that's going to be a, a big boost to it. You are the acting district attorney. You are running for election this November. You are, as of now, running in a primary against Deputy County Attorney Tom Clowley. And I, I'm a little confused sometimes by what exactly happened because it seems like the news is always changing. You are running on a Democratic and also the Republican line for this primary coming up. Uh, just can you sort of clear up the confusion for me? Of course. So I'm a registered Democrat. Last week, I received the Democratic endorsement to run for the district attorney. So now I need to get petitions signed in order to be on the ballot for the Democratic line. In addition, I've sought the endorsement of the Republican Party as well as the Conservative Party. As far as the Republican goes, I was granted a Wilson Pakula, which is going to allow me to challenge uh, my opponent in this race uh, in the primary coming up on June 27th in order to be the individual that is on the line for the Republicans. Like I said, you have a primary coming up this June, June 27th, I believe. Why should voters vote for you over your opponent? They should vote for me because I'm in the office. I'm doing this now that I know the current office. I know the systems. I know the discovery laws and the bail, the new bail laws. I practice them on a daily basis and uh, I know how we operate currently. My opponent hasn't stepped foot in a criminal court in nearly two decades. So he doesn't really know how to face the demands that this office faces currently or how to adapt to the new laws. Brian, before we go, is there anything else I have not touched on? Do you want listeners to know about? Yeah. So the district attorney's office is, is currently understaffed. We are slated for 10 assistant district attorneys. Right now, we only have six. So all of us are stretched pretty thin and all of us are working day in and day out in order to keep the public safe. I'm happy and confident in my attorneys to have such a qualified and dedicated staff. And Sullivan County should be proud of how the individuals working under me are working day in and day out in order to keep this county safe. You mentioned that your office is understaffed to deal with the demands that your office are facing. One of the things that Megan Galligan, when she was DA, came before the Sullivan County legislatures and talked about how much of the workload has come to her office now from body cams and how and in the effort of transparency from the state, how all these mandates now upon the office have really stretched thin, stressed the office thin. And it seems like you're facing the same problem. Is that correct? Correct. So I believe you're referring to the body worn cameras of the police yeah. officers that currently the state police are uh, deploying. And a few of the locals, I believe, are getting body cams as well now. So that goes back to the discovery issue is all of that is now discoverable under the new discovery laws. And it's body camera, live feeds and live feed is a lot of data. Now, these body cams are good because they show what the what our police are doing, you know, on a daily basis. And we see these arrests and how they're made and we're making sure that they're making legal, lawful arrests. Uh, but the discovery issue is 
a problem because now my attorneys have to review all of this video prior to turning over uh, this discovery to make sure there's nothing we need to redact for public safety purposes. Yeah. And then you're talking about hundreds of hundreds of hours of footage you have to watch. Hundreds of hours of footage to watch, even for the most basic cases. Wow. It's amazing. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for joining us here on the program. I do really appreciate it. Letting us know about you, about your office, and about the upcoming election that's coming up. Uh, the primary is June 27th, and then you got the uh, general election happening in November. So thank you, Brian, for joining us on the local edition. really appreciate it. All right. Thank you for having me. For Radio Catskill, I'm Patricio Robayo. Well, thank you, Patricio. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, talk about the educational components of Governor Kathy Hochul's proposed New York State budget. You are listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Hi, I'm Mimi Bradley, Radio Catskills Development Manager. When you include Radio Catskill in your estate plan, your generosity will provide a lasting legacy that will affect thousands of other listeners for years to come. The rewards go beyond the tax savings that can result from your gift. Through planned giving, it is possible to make gifts to Radio Catskill you might have previously thought impossible. Call me on 845-482-4141 to have a conversation about your sound legacy for Radio Catskill. You're listening to Radio Catskill. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. It's a local edition news and information keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. Do stay tuned. Coming up at the top of the hour at 7 o'clock, it's the Music Emporium with Kusar Grace. And taking you on a two-hour-long music ride and uh, wrapping up his series of Black History Month programs. That's coming up at 7 here on Radio Catskill. Right now in the local edition, i got to be honest with you, we uh, are missing an interview tonight because of a technical difficulty. But I do want to let you know what the subject was because we will have this guest on at some point. And this was uh, breaking news today. Today we received a press release from the League of Women Voters of New York State saying that the Let New York Vote Coalition, that's the name of the coalition, the Let New York Vote Coalition is urging the state legislature in New York to include voting rights and election funding in this year's budget. Coalition sent a letter to New York's legislative leaders yesterday, uh, Majority Leader Stuart Cousins, Speaker Heasty, and they outlined their budget priorities for the coming fiscal year, and it included nearly $160 million in proposed spending on administering elections and helping people participate in elections. And the gist of this story, and we were uh, going to speak with uh, Erica Smitka, from the, the, who's the legislative director for the League of Women Voters of New York State, but the, the gist of it is that New York State's got some uh, good pro-voter laws on the books, but has not invested in fully implementing them, especially not at the local board of election level. So that's where a lot of these budget proposals come from. Uh, there's at least five uh, bullet points here that that $160 
million dollars is broken up uh, between, but not just uh, funding uh, boards of elections to update their infrastructure and the equipment that they're also using, but also to work on voter education, as we saw right here in our area last year. It was a pretty confusing uh, uh, election season between the primaries and special elections, everything else we put in our effort here in Radio Catskill to try to keep people informed because it was actually confusing. And this is the sort of thing that uh, that this coalition is working on making sure gets invested in communicating clearly to voters and maintaining uh, uh, free and equal access to the ballot and polling places. So that'll be a full conversation we'll have sometime in the future. Right now, uh, we do have time for one more story tonight and also about uh, the New York State budget. Governor Kathy Hochul's proposed a record $31.5 billion in school aid for the upcoming school year. That's about a 7% increase from last year. And if this passes, it would be the most the state has ever spent on education. But inflation and the teacher shortage could eat up most of that increase, say New York superintendents. Amy Fiersel of North Country Public Radio reports. Usually, educators don't feel the state is spending enough on schools. This year, it's a bit different. Stephen Todd is the district superintendent of the Jefferson Lewis Hamilton Herkimer Oneida BOCES. This is my 29th year in education, and I can tell you this type of a scenario where the governor's proposal is just what we asked for is, is not always what we have seen. Governor Hochul proposed pretty much exactly the budget she'd promised, a 7% increase from last year. Todd says they're used to a lowball offer and the state legislature bargaining up. Uh, we're grateful and we're glad that uh, we're at a place where we're not starting the budget discussion playing uh, defense. One of the big ticket items in this year's budget is foundation aid. That's a baseline pot of money each school gets per year. Poorer districts get more from the state. On its simplest level, it is designed to be a progressive system of school funding that provides more money for districts that need more money to work with their kids because their own communities do not have as large a tax base to work with. Todd says because the North Country is in a poor part of the state, foundation aid is critical. But since foundation aid was established in 2007, it's never actually been fully funded. Hochul wants to change that, and some districts could see pretty considerable jumps, says Todd. I have some districts that will get increases that are more than 20% year over year. Districts like Watertown City School District that are getting more than 20% increases, they were among those that were heavily underfunded over the years. Most districts will receive a flat 3% increase. That's not huge, but it is very much appreciated, says Jennifer Gaffney, the superintendent of Sackett's Harbor School District in Jefferson County. 3% right now is, you know, is generous, but at the same time, districts are experiencing some hardships related to uh, inflation and rising costs in all areas of our operations. They need to account for pay raises for teachers. But also, Gaffney says pretty much everything they're looking to purchase for the upcoming school year is more expensive. We're talking food for the cafeteria. We're talking institutional paper. We are talking fuel prices. Gaffney says she doesn't think they'll have anything left over. Hochul is also proposing $100 million for post-pandemic mental health and academic supports. She also wants to increase pre-K funding by 13% and get new pre-K programs open. Gaffney says that's really exciting, but she was disappointed to see that the allotment for already existing pre-K is staying the same. State is not giving districts any more than they did initially. 
and the cost of pre-K programs has progressively risen throughout the school years. And now we are finding ourselves in a position where we're having to absorb more and more of that cost and it's becoming um, problematic. It's really putting a strain on our overall budget. That budget strain is something Dale Brial, the district superintendent for the Franklin Essex Hamilton BOCES, expects many of his districts will face. That's because of inflation, but also because of the teacher shortage, which has driven up starting salaries. Which is great for our teachers, and, and you know, frankly, they deserve uh, much more than we can ever give them. But uh, at, at the end of the day, that also puts a strain on budget. Brielt says anything extra in the budget will go towards academic interventions and mental health resources. But even that's tricky when every school district is looking for another counselor or social worker. So, right, even if we wanted to bring those people on board, um, a lot of times they just don't exist. Brielt says there's also an elephant in the room of what future education funding will look like now that after 16 years, Hochul wants to fully fund foundation aid. You know, it's kind of the proverbial dog that catches up with the mail truck. What happens next? Remember, foundation aid is designed to give more to poorer schools. Okay, so we're now fully funded under foundation aid. Are we just going to give everybody a percentage increase next year? Because there's a lot of experts out there that will say that applying the same percentage to every school district across the state creates one of the most inequitable situations possible. So now you're going right back to the inequities that led to the foundation aid promise in the first place. Brielt says he'll be pushing legislators to figure that out, to get some sort of clarity of what future funding will look like. He and other educators will be making requests and asking questions as the Senate and Assembly work on their version of the budget. The final budget is due April 1st. Amy Feierisel, North Country Public Radio. And thank you, Amy, for that report. Thank you to New York State Public Radio for making it available. Thank you for listening to the local edition. News and information keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. This is WJFF Jeffersonville, and we'll be uh, back again tomorrow. Support comes from Jeff Bank, Sullivan County's community bank for over 100 years. Meeting banking needs with a variety of deposit and loan products. Member FDIC and an equal housing lender. National Mortgage Licensing System and Registry Identification Number 405318. Jeff Bank. Still banking strong. From Livingston Manor. Dining, shopping, and the arts at the gateway to the Catskill Park. LivingstonManorNY.com.